and welcome to Cream of Caroline, the most ambitious casserole lifestyle podcast in America. I'm your host, Caroline Hatchett. I am so excited to bring my dear friend, Leslie Levine Harvell, onto the cream today. She is an entrepreneur and an activist who launched the Iconoclast Dinner Series to help bring national attention to chefs of color. She's also a super mom times five and a full-time pediatric dentist. Now, there weren't really any recipes in the 83 Southern Living Cookbook that spoke to me to represent Leslie. And luckily for both of us, she's on a keto diet and avoided eating the casserole that I ultimately selected and that you'll learn about. Get ready. There is a fabulous interview ahead along with casserole disaster. It's going to be creamy. What's in the microwave oven? Oh yes, you heard that right. Today I am cooking exclusively with a microwave. That marvel of post-war cooking technology. So turn to page 87 of the 1983 Southern Living Annual Recipes Cookbook for microwaved cheesy chicken tetrazzini. Or you could just light the book on fire and throw it in the microwave to snuff out the flames and any hopes and dreams you had of eating a decent dinner. Ladies of the 80s at Southern Living, bless your heart. I am sure I'm not sure actually, maybe the microwave could be used for the power of good, but there is never a reason to cook pasta or a chicken breast or a giant batch of creamy sauce in a microwave. I was naive going into this cooking experiment. I was excited, I thought it'd be fun. I thought it would be quick. I thought I'd be transported to another era and Lionel Richie would come in and serenade me as I cooked. I had no idea that I would blow up my kitchen with mise en place, cutting boards, bowls, so much wasted plastic and saran wrap. And I also didn't know that I'd spend an hour and a half waiting for my casserole to cook. There is no multitasking with a microwave. There is no even cooking with a microwave. You have to stop and stir and look and check. And in fact, after today, I would argue that there is no reason to own a microwave throw it out the window now, save yourself, and hold on to the end of the episode just just to find out how sad the experience was. That's what's in the microwave oven. Casseroles in the news. It is a sad week for journalism, folks, and a great week for the green bean casserole. What do Idaho, Kansas, Missouri, New Mexico, and Wisconsin all have in common? The website House Method analyzed Google searches for Thanksgiving recipes and found that those states looked up green bean casserole more frequently than turkey, sweet potato casserole, salad, dressing, or gravy recipes. People! The recipe is literally on the side of the can of cream of mushroom soup. You cannot screw this up. Worry about your turkey instead. Writer Daniel Higgins of the Green Bay Gazette settled to find if French's new crispy jalapenos could be substituted for their classic crispy onions as a green bean casserole topping. I know you're all on edge. Here's what he had to say. A manageable amount of heat hit from my tongue to the back of my throat and warmed the bald spot on my head. Sell it, Daniel, sell it. But ultimately, he said, flavor is where the crispy jalapenos falter. There's a hint of jalapeno in there somewhere, but the casserole flavor is lacking without the onions. 
And finally, Southern Living recently reported that, yes, indeed, you can make green bean casserole in advance of your Thanksgiving dinner by a few hours or a few days. Just don't put the onions on top, they say, or they'll get soggy. No shit, Sherlock. It takes less than five minutes to dump the ingredients from a can, mix, and pop that mediocre symbol of Americana into the oven. Save your advanced prep work for dishes that really matter. <sighs> That's your casseroles in the news. Okay, I'm ready. Listeners, we have a girlfriend and someone I really look up to in the house this afternoon, Leslie Levine Harvell. Welcome. She is a pediatric dentist. There's so many things. She is a mom of five. Five daughters. Five daughters and the founder of the Iconoclast Dinner Experience. Yes. Which is how we met. How many years ago? Three, at least, maybe? Oh, I feel like it has to be more than that. More than that? Four, possibly? Yeah. It's been a while, guys. Yes, we've had a lot okay. of We've had a lot of parties and interactions. Yeah, <laughs> so we can't even, everything just like flows together. Since then. So, and I always like to start um, getting some background information on the food you grew up with and your family. So mm-hmm. you are of Jamaican heritage. Yes. Yep. First generation Jamaican American. Yep. Okay. And where did you grow up exactly? Mount Vernon, Mount- Westchester County. Okay. I, yep. I knew it was nearby somewhere. And what kind of foods did you grow up eating at home? So I would say your traditional jerk chicken, curry goat, rice and peas. All the time? Like that was. Was your mom the cook or did... Actually, my... It's funny because I was just talking to someone about this. Um, My mother, by the time my parents had me, my father was a very good cook because my mother said she trained him. Okay. Because she was like, you know, he needs to learn how to cook. Mm -hmm. Um, And my dad grew up in a part of Jamaica, which a lot of people probably don't think about this because Jamaica is an island, but it's a very, like, fish-driven parish, Mm -hmm. St. Elizabeth Black River. So my dad um, cooked a lot of escovitch fish. Okay. So when my dad was cooking, it was a lot of fish. Um, his rice and peas were actually very different than my mother's rice and peas. Like he, he my mother made it with um, like a red pea, so it gave the, the rice like a different color. And then my father cooked it with like gunga Pi- peas. Pigeon peas? Are those or, big pigeon peas? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. But yeah, but gunga really. peas. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, just like baked chicken, just mm-hmm. like, oh, actually broiled chicken. Yeah. Like broiled chicken, um, stuff like that. I was never, you know, I used to like, I had some African-American friends and I'd be like, mommy, can you make me fried chicken? And she'd be like, no, no that's, that's not, not good for do. you. It's not good for you. <laughs> so yeah, that was pretty much the food. And then like breakfast food, like ackee saltfish, mackerel. Yeah. I was looking, I... So the two-part question, there are really no Jamaican casseroles. That's not something that exists in the world. No. And are there... I never had a casserole until I got, like, older, like, at someone's house. Because casserole isn't something that... Like, if, you know, I try to explain to people, like, if I didn't eat it in someone's house, I would have had to eat it in a restaurant. So if it's not, like, restaurant food Food. and it was, like, American, then I wouldn't have eaten it. So a casserole would be sort of like a mixture of, like, a vegetable, a meat, right? And then, like, a pasta... And like cream, it doesn't, it can, some of those elements can always fall away, but generally speaking, it's a baked dish with at least like three components. 
that's like hot and bubbly. So I feel, and I'm not an expert on this, but there is a Dominican dish. So like I think casseroles exist in the Caribbean, uh, but pas- Jamaican pastelon. There we go. Yes, that's the one I'm thinking. Yes, about. we had that on an episode. Oh my god, so good, so good. Um, but no, I don't. <laughs> I don't know of any. You know, I'm sure somebody might listen and call and be like, "Oh no, we have this." I don't know. I don't. I've never. <laughs> you know, I've eaten a lot of Jamaican households. Um, I don't think we have anything. So it sounds like you grew up with healthy food. Have you always been? So we'll talk about the Iconoclast dinner series in a second. But have you always been into food? I. You know, it is so funny. A lot of people are asking me that. I guess I was, and I never realized it. Like I have always. My mother told me my my. My grandfather was a butcher. Okay. And, you know, they lived on a farm, a small farm, but they had one. And when my grandfather would make, when he would jerk pork, he would, so that was not something that was done inside. That was something that was done outside in this, like, barrel. I don't even know how, it's like this black barrel-looking thing that, like, has wood in there, which I just found out recently is a natto wood. It's like, or pimento wood. Okay, Mental so wood. very specific. Wood, very specific to Jamaica. And I would, this is what my, my mother was telling me, I would sing, like, for the entire day, <laughs> like, as my grandfather was, like, make, was, like, she was, like, you would be so happy when your grandfather was making this jerk pork. And um, <laughs> it was just so, like, smoky and salty and good. It was just, I mean, I can't, and actually, like, my parents were good cooks, but it never approached my grandfather's level of yeah devotion to one item that I'm sure he like worked on crafting over and then I think the the ingredients Mm -hmm. like you know which were indigenous to Jamaica that's also another thing too and then whatever is Walker's wood not indigenous to (laughs) you know but is that a Jamaican company it probably is yeah it is but but I'm sure it wasn't whatever he was it wasn't he wasn't getting it from a can no whatever (laughs) he wasn't getting it from a from a um, right yes and before food, so you are a Spelman alum. Yes. Yes. You spent With two daughters at Spelman now. Two of five daughters at Spelman. Do you yes. think they're all going to go? I would love that. I think that's why God gave me daughters so I can repopulate Spelman College. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then dentistry. I mean, so I want to talk about your professional life first because this is like you're confounding sometimes. I don't understand. Um... You obviously study to be a dentist. Yeah, I'm a pediatric, I'm full-time, you know, practice, board-certified pediatric dentist. Uh, Dental Kids is the name of my practice. Um, I co-founded it with my husband, who has a Wall Street background, went to Columbia for business school, and we are one of the largest providers of pediatric oral health care in the state of New Jersey. Um, So, yeah, and that is... You know, I get a lot of fulfillment out of that. You know, the thing is, I feel that, um, you know, like even understanding how much I love food wasn't even something that I think I actualized in my mind until I was maybe 35. Well, how did you have time, right? Because... Oh, that's another thing too. Right? You were married. <laughs> right. You're founding like a, a dental practice. Who has time to think about stuff that and, they're passionate and about, ma- right? And making five humans. Yes. And keeping them alive. You're like not just making them. Keeping them alive. And then also, I just think as a woman, I know that I used to like place all these unnecessary burdens on myself. Like, oh my God, if I leave the house, like so... 
I had two children before I started dental school. So I was like in school and then my husband was in business school like at, at some point in, in that time, mm-hmm. right? So I would feel really guilty like if I, obviously I have to be at school, obviously I have to study, right? But I felt like if I was not doing those two things. You should be with your children. At all times. So no exercising, no, no doing anything. It's like I need to be with them at all times. And that was just a self-imposed sort of like burden I put on myself. Right. And then um, I would say by the time I got to my third child, I kind of got over that. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got over that. I'm like, okay. So you're 35 when you, find, when you found the... Yeah, because my husband, he, like, it's so funny because one day, it was, so it was my, it was my birthday, mm-hmm. and I woke up, and my husband was, like, looking at me, and I'm, like, he's, like, happy birthday. He's, like, you need to, like, find something that's just for you, not something that's for, like, the family, for the kids, for dental kids, just something that's only yours, and you need to just... Because I don't want you to be, like, 45 and resenting us. hmm Okay? So, <laughs> so I need you, whatever that is. And so I really had to, like, dig down deep. And I'm like, oh, I really love going to these food festivals and going to these small dinners. And at first, like, I was so used to doing things with people. So I would, like, reach out to people and be like, oh, hey, do you want to go to South Beach Wine and Food Festival or whatever? Um, and I realized that the idea like just it it wasn't as important enough to people for them to like travel for it and I was like oh okay that's fine and so it's that was like the first time that I traveled by myself like I went to South Beach Wine and Food Festival like by myself and it was like the weirdest thing to me well and you don't drink which is like (laughs) (laughs) right I would have to be like but there was just so much (laughs) but it was like actually super liberating because I could just go to whatever event I wanted to go to, wake up when I wanted to wake up. And I was like, I enjoy this. And that led? (laughs) That led to? You doing your own damn thing. Right. So, you know, it's funny. I was at a food festival, and it was a Peruvian event. Okay. And I didn't, I actually, I had not noticed that I was the only black person there until somebody pointed out to me. And they didn't explicitly say it to me. I had like three people, three different people come up to me and try to figure out like who I was. Like they were like, one person came up to me and they were like, oh, so what publication do you write for? And I was like, Hmm. oh, I don't write for any. I I mean, I thought maybe like I was dressed in a certain way. I was like, oh, I don't. I was like, I don't write for a publication. I'm just here enjoying the ceviche like you, you know. And then another person not related to this person, another person came up to me and she was like, where have I seen you before? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. Are you from New York? And she was like, yeah. I was like, oh, well, maybe just like events. She was just like, well, maybe on TV. Are you on t-? And I'm like, oh, they're trying to figure out. I like, I'm like, because I'm like, I'm dressed completely regularly, like, you know, typical, like, you know, sundress, like, we're in Miami. Right. And I was looking around. I was like, oh, they're trying to figure out why I'm here because I'm the only black person here. <laughs> totally get it. <laughs> I hadn't even realized that until... And they're trying to be welcoming, but not... Yeah. But they're trying was... to figure out, like, oh, okay. Oh, like, God. so that was... So I think it was at that time I realized I was like, oh, I think 
when I go to these events, like, am I, am I the only, like, <laughs> what, you know, because I'd never paid attention before because food people are so friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, like, I never really noticed it. Like, that sounds weird. It does. But I just never really noticed it because I was just, you know, there doing my thing. And it really wasn't until somebody pointed it out to me. I was like, oh, oh, okay, I guess I'm the only, you know, whatever. And actually, I don't even think that I attributed it to race. It was a lot of, there were a lot of Peruvians there. Mm-hmm. Um, that they were there following that particular chef. So I was like, oh, so maybe I'm not Peruvian. I don't look Peruvian. You so. definitely don't look Peruvian. <laughs> I'm like, maybe. And um, I guess I just started paying attention to it more after that happened. And, um, and then I realized it wasn't just like me as somebody who is like enjoying these events. I was like, wow. There are so few chefs of color at these events that I'm going to. Like, I just, you know, it's it's like, it's like I don't know, like, um, you know, the thing in the Matrix where they're like, <laughs> you know, you're finally like seeing, you're like, oh my gosh. Right. So then as I started paying attention to the culture a lot more, I was like, and they're not getting written about either. Like, this is crazy. Okay, like, we need to do something about this. And so... For me, I guess as an entrepreneur, I'm not necessarily the type of person to like, I don't I don't have to wait around for someone to do something. My mm-hmm. husband was like, we were actually in another part of Florida. We were in Jupiter. We were like on family vacation. He was just like, well, why don't you just, why don't you just do one? <laughs> like you can, you can, you can throw your own event. We already have the scholarship at Spelman. It can you benefit are, that. You are fabulous party hosts. Oh, thank you. Thank yes. you very much. But iconoclast dinner experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Well, we just started, I just started, like, honestly, I was just trying to get through that one dinner. I would never in a million years think that I have, like, five events. and three, Like, I just, my mind, I wouldn't be able to wrap my mind around it because, you know, my husband said that to me. I'm like, okay, yes, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do my research, and I'm going to be pragmatic, and I'm going to do this and that, blah, blah. But I'm not a, like, I don't have a background in hospitality or right. working with chefs or any of that. And, like, I called two of my good friends, Reggie Van Lee and Lola West, and they were like, what do you need? Like, you know, they didn't question me for one moment. They didn't say like, well, how are you going to do this? And, you know, and I think if I had known (laughs) how hard it was going to be, I probably would have just like talked myself out of it. But, um, it was hard. It's rewarding. Um, but you know, it's a lot of work to, you know, execute an event at that level. Oh yeah. With, with really important chefs. So, and this is the, all-star, all-star culinary bash. No, the first one was the Iconoclast dinner. Oh, that was. That was the very first one. And actually, once I started having more events, I had to rebrand. Because the first dinner was called the Iconoclast dinner experience. Okay. But then as I started to have more events, I was like, okay, well, the umbrella will be the Iconoclast dinner experience. And then we'll have like all these events under it. Okay. And always featuring chefs of color. Chefs of color. Pastry yeah. chefs. You have... Sommeliers. Recognized sommeliers as well. Um, spirits professionals yes. as well. Um, that's at the dinner in New York. The, mm-hmm. that, the one that like started it all. Um, at the James Beard House now. Yes, at the James Beard House. Um, very intimate, 50 people. Um, you know, we've had amazing honorary event chairs. Cynthia Rebo, Tamron Hall, Carla Hall. Okay. Um, Condola Rashad. You know, like really like heavy hitters mm-hmm. um, supporting the event as honorary event chair. And um, Ava DuVernay came through one year. You know, I mean, just these are not things that if someone had said to me like, oh, yeah, this is going to be like really significant. 
this is going to be a really significant event to the culture. And we're moving into year six and, you know, just scaling. And, you know, we have the event in Chicago, which is our... Right, I've attended, yes. Yes. Alongside the the two nights before the James Beard Awards. Yes, and so that's how we do it because I was like, oh, I remember going to the James Beard Awards weekend. And I was like, if you are not on someone's list, you can't get into an event. I was like, I don't like, like, riding on people's coattails. (laughs) <laughs> like get into events you know what I mean because I just sneak into them if I need to yeah but, but you're like on the list you're on you're on everything I haven't, list, al- I haven't always been on the list but yes I am now. well I'm like not really in the culinary world I'm like culinary adjacent so that was a little weird for me and then I was thinking to myself I said has there ever like I saw that there were all these parties happening and there were you know like some were like themed and some were kind of just like oh you know this restaurateur is having this party I was like has there ever been a party that has, like, recognized JBF, recognized chefs of color. Oh, no? Okay, I'm throwing it. It's going to be the bomb, and this is what we're going to do. And that's how I started that three years ago. So we're moving into year four of that. Okay. IDE, All-Star Colony of Ash. It always happens this Saturday. So JBF Awards always happens the Monday, Monday, first Monday in May. And our party is always the Saturday. And our past two years, our hosts have gone on to win awards yes. that following Monday. So Mashama Bailey mm-hmm. was the um, was the host of 2019. And Kwame also. Did he cook last year? He, he cooked oh, the previous year. He cooked the previous year. And Eduardo the previous year. Was the Eduardo host. Jordan. Yes. Yep. And the host this year is Johnny Rhodes. Okay. Indigo, mm-hmm. Houston. So, Yeah. We're excited. Yeah. We're excited. Yes. <laughs> All the talent. And then for the first time this summer, you hosted Yes. The King is Dead. The King is Dead in Martha's Vineyard. It was so special. It was so beautiful. It was, well, first of all, um, Martha's Vineyard is just like a beautiful location. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the first time I'd ever really like worked with um, like a farm, like different farms, like mm-hmm. local artisans, like you know, like letting them know, like so far in advance, like we're gonna need like this much duck, and like actually like going to the farm and like meeting the farmer who like raises these ducks. It was so special. Um, not just me interacting with the chefs, mm-hmm. but them getting to interact with each other and like, you know, be in that house together. And like these are women who had never met each other before, never met each other. And they're just like in this house and, you know, we went to the farmer's market together and we met like, you know, we met the we met the farmer who we sourced the duck from. And the event where we um, the event took place at the Farm Institute, Mm -hmm. which is a um, it is a working farm. Um, They have children's programs and but their whole purpose is to educate people in terms of how the the land that surrounds them supports them. Okay. Right? And so it was, first of all, it's just like a beautiful, like... Setting. It's just like gorgeous, right? And then like we actually, like the beef that was cooked, like was sourced like right there. I actually, (laughs) I had someone, um, because I forged some, I guess, shallots. Yes. Which I didn't even know, like Maeve McCulphy, she's the, she's the like the chef, like they have like an, a culinary director there. Mm-hmm. She's the culinary director, but then they also have like someone who's over education. So she kind of like, you know, she's like the rock star in town and like, oh, like you got to get your mushrooms from here. Like we're going to go to this stand and this is where you're going to get this from. And, you know, so she like 
taught me how to forge some sa- some shallots. So I was like, oh no, you have got to record me <laughs> doing this. Pull, pull, <laughs> pulling shallots from the earth? Yes, pulling shallots from the earth. Um, it was really, it was just a very, and then the event was outside. Um, it was just, it was just nice. You have to go Beautiful. look at pictures and video. I have. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was like really, really special. So okay. I know I keep saying that word special, but it really was. And then on the roster for 2020, you said your first event is coming up in April? Coming up in April. So the reason we're moving that event to LA, so Impolite Conversation is, I can't believe I didn't talk about this. So Impolite Conversation is a way for us to explore a cultural topic. We begin it through the lens of food, but we touch it through many different ways. So for example, like last year we talked, well this year, yeah, May. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the intersection of access to capital and cultural appropriation, right? Which impacts restaurateurs, but also impacts filmmakers and mm-hmm. fashion designers and, and anyone who you know touches culture, right? So like for example, Dapper Dan was there, right? So Dapper oh. Dan who, you know, Is created they- hip hop, Fashion, like who, who defined created, it. like, right, what's happening in American fashion. <laughs> oh, right, exactly. In general. Right. William and I were talking about this at dinner two nights ago or something. Yes. So, right, so he was in the audience, and that's something that he completely related to, but it was also something that the Palestinian chef who was on the panel, who got funded by someone who did not understand her culture, it was something that she related to as well. So, um, yeah, so the best way I can explain it, it's just, it's a very, like, in-depth, authentic conversation about culture. We started with food, but again, it branches out and lots of different people um, can relate to it. So this year, we're moving it to L.A. because Impolite Conversation is going to be about how, um, you know, the cannabis industry has had this meteoric rise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like one of the hugest growth economies. Somebody um, tried to gro- sell growth me markets. CBD Excuse soap. Me. And I was like, what the? I don't need CBD in my soap. Maybe you do. You never know. Maybe you should try it. <laughs> I am a little tightly wound, but... So it's just like this huge growth market. It's meteoric. And the, the communities that have been disproportionately impacted by... Marijuana laws have not been able to participate in the same economic boom. No. So the conversation is going to be, so black and Latinos have been incarcerated at four times the rate of their white counterparts um, for marijuana and other laws. So we're mm-hmm. going to have four chefs who represent those communities, um, each cooking a course, and it's going to be a cannabis-infused dinner, but we're going to explore this topic with people from different vantage points and not just not just talk about it but just like have possible solutions because it's a very very young industry it's like the wild wild west right now but we need to find a way to really engage those communities who have been harmed by the laws right so it's going to be a great conversation um are you going to eat the dinner I will. I will eat it. Yes. And it will be legal because it'll be in California. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's where it'll be. And it'll be infused into the drinks as well. Okay. Yeah. I love so, it. But you can also really, you can do a lot with cannabis cuisine and drinks because you also don't have to activate 
the THC. You could just use the aromas and the terpenes. I learned all about these um, controlled substances in food. Both we had uh, at the Star Chefs Congress, we had some people come and, and present, but also we did work in Colorado a, oh, f- a few years ago. Which is another place. And, where- and Star Chefs threw a dinner, um, or I think the company's only cannabis kind of related dinner and event. Uh, but it's, it's really fascinating. It is. It is. So I'm excited about that. I'm not cute if I eat marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I would be open to experimenting. Yeah. <laughs> and listen, I mean, it's, it's going to be legal, right, eventually in all of the states. I mean, that's the trend. So, Right, and you're starting a conversation to see how people of color can benefit, right? Yeah, like from this economic boom, like, you know, and not just like having dispensaries, right? So because like that's super cost prohibitive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the funding and, right, and, and having access to capital. Uh, right, right. All of these things, but also like plant touching businesses, cannabis touching businesses. There, there's going to be there is an entire eco structure, ecosystem that supports the industry, you know. So mm-hmm. there has to be ways. And even if those, you know, there are things like, for example, access to capital specifically for for cannabis touching businesses, just because these same communities have been disproportionately impacted. I mean. This is a solution I'm making up. I don't have the money, right? Right. But they're, you know, so this is why we invite people you're an to the conversation. Who just gets things done. So So yeah, you gotta you gotta start the conversation. That's the only way. That's the only way. So excited about that. Impolite conversation, April LA. April LA. I love LA's food yes. scene too. It's great. Yeah. So how in what ways do you think the landscape has actually changed since you started the dinner series. I think it has, at least in terms of a national conversation, dramatically. Yeah. But um, I, th- I think that you're at like your work is at the heart of some of that, right? Thank you so much. No, a I'm- lot of people have said that to me too. I I was never doing it for other people. I was really doing it so the chefs that I honor would feel as if what I was giving them was just a, a great of an honor as like you know, food and wine, Mm -hmm. naming them best new chef. Or, I mean, obviously the JBF Awards is the Oscars of food, right? So that's like, you know. Right. um, You know, but it's just like, you know, you have the Oscars and then you have the Screen Actors Guild Awards. You you know, you have these other like awards that are equally as prestigious. Mm -hmm. For me, that was really what I wanted. Like I wanted it to get to that point. In terms of the landscape, I've noticed more writers of color receiving prominence mm-hmm. yes that's that's something i've noticed obviously we know that like you know eduardo kwame nina Michonne, like all these people have gotten james beard awards um pax got you know best new chef food and wine like you're, you're seeing a lot more uh, kwame got that as well yes you're seeing a lot more chefs of color you know receiving these sort of like, I, I don't even know if I want to call them prestigious anymore because I, I, I feel like getting honored by the Iconoclast dinner experience is prestigious as well. Yeah. So I'm starting to feel like these people are my peers. You know, mm-hmm. these like entities are my peers. But you're definitely seeing sort of like the um, the mainstream, I guess. Yes, that's a Sort that's of a like the mainstream um, powers that be recognizing people of color. 
Yeah, and and not just one token. Oh yeah, token which was like a person. thing. Yes, for like a long one time. person every fifteen years. Yes, <laughs> you know <laughs> what like I mean. Every fifteen years, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, which is like, yeah, we gotta do better. So yeah, so I have noticed because to me it really starts with the media. It starts with media, and that's it. And that's like the kind of amazing snowball effect is that, and this is something that we saw in you know, my work forever at Star Chefs is when someone receives an award, all of a sudden they might have access to capital. Right. Somebody might say, oh, let me help you really open your first restaurant. If right. you've been working as a chef de cuisine somewhere or let me fund your wine bar because X, oh, Y, Femi. X, right. Fit of Femi. So I forgot. Fabulous. How could I forget about Femi? Femi is the bomb. Yes. And he is just like doing it in, in all kinds of ways in Charleston. Graft. 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 So if you guys are ever in Charleston, you've got to go to... Buy a bottle. And hang out. And hang, yes. I did the last time I breezed into town. Yeah. It was lovely. So so the landscape has changed. And I think that... Yeah, but I think, I mean, I think they were going to have to or they were going to get left behind. True. Right, like all of these, you know, Bon Appetit and the food and wines and, you know, like all of these sort of like mainstream gatekeepers, they were going to get left behind if they didn't catch up with the times. It's kind of like, well, what are you doing? Like people are going to start asking that question, like how are you going to be relevant if you're not even reflecting what the country looks like? Right, and how the country is eating. (laughs) Right. And what people are excited about. Yeah, so they were going to be left behind if they didn't evolve. That's what happens if you don't evolve. Well, I mean, they've done it to a certain extent. Not, there's, oh, yeah. There's, there's certainly... Of, there's more work to be done. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, and the money you raise, this is a nonprofit. You're not mm-hmm. getting rich from all this. Oh. Um, no. But the, the nice thing is that I'm, I'm a pediatric dentist. And so I'm able to, you know, so... <laughs> So we've raised over a hundred thousand dollars in the past five years for girls from Jamaica and sub-Saharan African countries, um, and I'm a proud Spelman alum. And just to be able to give back to an institution that's given so much to me and made me the woman that I am today is, you know, really just like icing on the cake for me. And and like somebody the other day called me an activist, and I was like, I guess I am. Yes, I never thought about it. That way, but yes, it's like you are. you're putting in the work, the time, the energy, money, like your life, right? <laughs> <laughs> the activism, yeah. It's like the it's like um, they're all one and the same thing. So I guess I never really thought about it like that because, like, I think when I think of activists, I think about like Bree Nees Newsom, who's like climbing to the top of the Capitol and taking the Confederate flag off of you know the state capitol. Um, building in South mm-hmm. Carolina. Um, but yeah, so there's definitely, when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I mean, yes, by nature, this is activism. Right. That tastes yummy. Via food. Yeah. Right. And it and you're pulling in different people to listen. And food is an approachable way for people to, right. to understand and to, to care. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. So I like being an activist. 
I, I think I've always been like an activist at heart. Anyway. Yeah, a dentist activist mom. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I was always that kid who would be like, hey, that's not fair. We should be able to, you know, like I was always like that child, that person mm-hmm. <laughs> who would be like, you know, we should be able to stay up later. <laughs> because and these are the reasons why and here are the reasons <laughs> it's only fair we don't have school tomorrow we don't have to wake up early fight for it yes all the things <laughs> so this is an unusual episode because I'm not cooking for you only because I've had way too much fun this summer and I am doing keto I'm doing intermittent fasting and I've given up beef, pork, and poultry. So I'm only doing fish and um, eggs. Fish and eggs for protein, right? So I just don't want to be that difficult person. Like, no, no you're, you're, you're like life is a giant casserole, but you're not living the casserole lifestyle. Right, and I don't want to be, <laughs> don't you know those people like, oh, I don't eat this, and it's just like difficult. So I don't want to be that difficult person. Like you've put all this hard work into something and I can't have it because you put cornstarch in it or something right <laughs> you know what I mean we'll, we'll eat when you le- when you get off keto yeah I have five more pounds okay you can and then I'll be in maintenance then I'll be in maintenance and then you can dip in and out so I, I can dip in and out yeah yeah so I am gonna make a, a really scary microwave casserole and I'm probably gonna invite my neighbor over to try it but see you dodged a bullet it's pop it's probably gonna be it's gonna be chicken Maybe. chicken tetrazzini all made, like, exclusively made in a microwave. Well, listen, <laughs> you're doing the 80s thing, right? Doing the 80s thing, right. So that was, moment. like, high-end back in the 80s. That oh, was, like, high technology, like, crazy. putting the whole thing in the microwave. Like, including the noodles. It seems we'll so, it's so unnecessary. Wait, do you have a recipe for it? Oh, yeah. You have a microwave recipe for it? Yes. Yes. It's, like, boil the noodles, cook the chicken, put the whole thing together. I don't even have a microwave. I have to go to my neighbor's house. <laughs> that is so funny. And you are and you are cooking a normal meal for Thanksgiving, a big fabulous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my like- mom will be coming up, my brother, my niece, and my the girls will be coming home from Atlanta. So it's, I guess, wait, it's like maybe like 11. Okay. 7, 8, 9, 10, yeah. So 11. I order my turkey mm-hmm. because... There's a place in California that does an amazing, they have like organic free range turkeys. They smoke them for you. You get them smoked. There is nothing in life like an entire smoked turkey. Smoked like completely like with hickory wood. Right. I'm usually disappointed by them. So I, I feel like it would be a great investment. Okay. So you know what? How about this? I am not big on shadow people, but Willie Bird. Okay. Willie Bird. Willie Bird, Sonoma County, California. Okay. You better hope they're not sold out. Like, I actually am getting nervous right now. <laughs> it's so good and juicy down to the bone. Okay. I down mean- to the bone, okay? Not dry at all. If you ever have that, you will never be able to eat an oven roasted turkey again. I promise you. Um, and then I, you know, I cook the other proteins like the oxtail, the curry goat, um, depending on what I can get. Like, if I can get, like, like those Portuguese sardines, the really small ones, mm-hmm. I'll escovich those. Like the kids oh. eat the whole thing. Like I just, I put it in my air fryer and then like I'll just, you know, make the escovich with the scotch bonnet and the onions and the peppers and I just like put over the fish and you just like, you, it's so crisp. Like they just eat the bones, everything. Like that it's just everything. For an appetizer or for in the middle just of like, the table? Yeah, just like 
not an appetizer, just like they may want it like as, you know, with their meat, with like some other meat that they're eating. Um, and then like the rice and peas and then the baked macaroni and cheese, mm-hmm. the potato salad, which is my husband's grandmother's recipe, um, collard greens and um, green beans. And then we order our desserts. We order, we talked about this um, apple walnut, sour, sour, sour cream, cream apple walnut pie. so good. I really want the I want those sardines though. That's what I yeah. Like. If I can get them, they're por- the Portuguese um, sardines are small. I just can't imagine that on a Thanksgiving table, and it makes me like. Oh, and they're good and crunchy, like and crispy, yeah. and just seasoned well. And then you have their escovitch. Jamaican American Thanksgiving. Oh, the best, right? <laughs> um, and then like the kids will make like some cranberry something. Okay. Usually they make cranberry sauce, but um. I don't know. I feel like last year they did something different. They might have, like, we have, like, some children's cookbooks at home, and then they, like, I'll just let them. And they're good eaters, right? Obviously. Oh, yeah. See, you raise, like, intelligent daughters who eat good food. You know what? The thing is, we never gave our children kids' menu. You know when you go to restaurants and they have, mm-hmm. like, no, my kids are not eating from the kids' menu. Like, you have to develop their palate from a young age. If you're giving them, like, you go into a restaurant, but then you're giving, like, your kids, like, chicken finger. Like, they're not going to develop their palate. No, they're just going to like chicken fingers. They're going to like just, like, this basic, like, monotonous type of food. Or white lady casseroles. <laughs> well, you're from the South, so maybe your white lady casserole is, like, I feel like Southerners can cook. I, yes, it's really, it is, it's, they're good. They're super comforting, though. I wouldn't say them. some of them have had some more like high tones and interesting textures but they're really pretty like level beep beep you know um, okay but they're delicious i maybe except for the one i'm making in your absentia tomorrow but it'll it, it'll be fine and make sure you put it on ig i will put it on ig and i will tag you and i hope that i break your keto heart <laughs> i try you know it's so funny like Another thing that breaks my keto heart are all these beautiful pictures of noodles. Like when people are like, mm-hmm. I'm like why? You know what? Let me get off of Instagram right now before Bye. I break my entire diet. You're safe today. Yeah, because I'm going to try to find some place to go have like sashimi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll send you in the right direction. Yes. Uh, I think that's it, though. I think we're wrapped. so much fun chit chatting. So glad because we could talk like forever. Finally, right? have you at my home? I know. And, and meet your cute dog and, and see your Bruno. husband again. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much, Leslie, for coming. Thank by you today. for having me. Okay. Yeah, there you go. I'm like anti-connection. <laughs> <laughs> it's dinner time. Okay, William and I uh, are sitting down at 9.05 p.m. I have been making this microwave chicken tetrazzini since 7 o'clock. Probably got it in the microwave starting at 7.30. And two hours, an hour and a half later, we're going to eat dinner and we feel a little defeated. Crossing our fingers that it tastes good because I'm not sure it's worth the effort. No, it took basically everything to double the amount of time to make sure that no one's getting salmonella. 
the saddest thing is just that, you know, maybe it's not sad yet, but a bird died so that I can make this casserole. Don't burn yourself. Don't scorch your taste buds. Bruno Ignatius Nicholson, stop. Had this been in the oven, it would have had a little bit more of a crispy element, I believe. I think the pasta, well, honestly, it doesn't taste bad. Like the flavor itself. Maybe I might go get some hot sauce from the fridge, some Tabasco. Mm. I was thinking it did need and, some type of... And if you just serve this like over rice or something, because there's not enough pasta, and the pasta is very, very crummy for the effort. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. Honestly, I was being kind to that casserole in the moment. I saved one batch of leftovers that I begrudgingly ate and threw the rest in the garbage. May that dumpster fire of a dinner rest in peace. Now, I wish I could wrap up this episode in a lovely bow, tying Leslie's work to some grand lessons in cooking and life. Maybe there are no shortcuts in achieving greatness, maybe. Or better yet, when somebody tells you that they're going to microwave your dinner, politely decline. Tell them you're on keto. Go home and eat whatever you want, as long as you keep it creamy. Mm -hmm.